Well, please have your Bible open and let's pray as we come to look at this part of the Bible together. Lord, we thank you for the letters to the Thessalonians and we thank you that there is so much in them for us. And we would ask this morning, Lord, that as we look at these passages, as we look at these verses, that you would speak to us and equip us and inspire us and teach us. Lord, speak to us this morning through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At the beginning of this week, I got a a lovely picture from a friend. This isn't it. I thought I couldn't put the real one up. But I got a lovely picture from a friend. He'd become a parent for the first time. He had a little newborn in his hands. And then I got a picture on Thursday of uh, the little girl in her car seat, ready to go home for the first time. And it just reminded me of being a parent for the first time. And the way I would describe being a parent for the first time, the word I'd use to describe is nervous. Everything makes you nervous. Giving the baby a bottle for the first time. Am I doing it right? Am I holding it the right way? What's going to happen? Burping the baby for the first time. Is it going to throw up? Is it okay? Changing the baby's nappy for the first time. That's an experience. Made me nervous. Putting the baby in the car for the first time. Am I putting this right? Driving the baby for the first time. That made me nervous. Everything about it made me nervous. But I think the thing that makes new parents most nervous of all is leaving their baby with someone else for the first time. And it doesn't matter who it is. They could be leaving the baby with their mother or their sister or a childminder with 200 years of experience. It doesn't matter who they're leaving the baby with. To leave the baby with someone for the first time, well, it's just awful. It really is. It's awful. It makes you feel sick. You know, maybe you've decided it's time for for your, you and your wife to go out for a meal, so you leave the baby with your parents and you go out for a meal and you get there and you order and you sit down and you can't eat a thing. You're just worried. You're just nervous. Or maybe you have to go back to work after maternity leave and so you leave the baby with the, the nursery and you go to work and you don't get anything done because you're just so nervous and sick with worry. And eventually, what do you have to do? What do you have to do? It doesn't matter who they are. You have to phone, don't you? Is everything okay? Is everything okay? You can't help it. You might phone three or four times. You're so nervous. Well, Paul, that's the way he felt. That's the way he felt at one stage for the Thessalonian Christians. Paul had gone to Thessalonia and he'd preached the gospel and people had become Christians. They were little tiny baby Christians, brand new to the faith. They were first generation Christians, little baby sweet newborn Christians. And Paul was ripped away from them. The people of the town came and they chased Paul out of the city. They tried to kill him and he wasn't allowed back in. And so Paul left them behind and you can imagine how he felt torn from these brand new baby Christians. And Paul's now in Athens and he's really worried about them. I wonder how they're doing. I wonder are they still going on with Jesus? I know it's going to be tough for them in Thessalonica. I know they're going to be facing trials and, and persecution. And he's worried and he's concerned. And I imagine he feels that sickness in his tummy that all parents feel when they leave their babies for the first time. And so what does Paul do? Well, he doesn't make a call. There's no mobile phones, but he does something pretty similar. He sends Timothy, his co-worker, to go back to Thessalonica. Thessalonica and find out about them and and you can read that in the passage there and he sends them to do two things he sends Timothy to do two things on his behalf and the first thing Timothy is sent to do is to strengthen and encourage these new baby Christians who are facing trials take a look with me at the text so it's a bit small so probably better to look in your bible but look with me from verses two to five 
We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we, we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. And if you have a look at verse 1, Paul says that he did this when he could bear it no longer. He'd waited long enough to make the call. He'd waited long enough nervous, and so he sends Timothy back to the Thessalonians to strengthen them and to encourage them in their faith as they face trials. See, Paul was right. These Christians were facing trials. These Christians were facing difficulties. They were facing the difficulties that everybody faces in life, but they were facing two particular, very particular types of trials. And the first trial they were facing was they were facing a form of persecution because of their allegiance to Jesus. They were facing ostracism because of Jesus. They were facing probably violence because of Jesus. They were facing persecution because of Jesus. You see, these Christians, because of their allegiance to Jesus, they weren't practicing then the normal practices of that society. The normal practices of that society would have involved drinking lots of alcohol in these huge parties to worship the gods. It would have involved promiscuity and, and just having uh, sexual relationships with the temple prostitutes and doing all those sorts of things. And these Christians who now lived under the rule of Jesus, they weren't engaging and doing the things that were normal in society. They were strange and people didn't like it. And so they would have been ostracized and made fun of and mocked. They also didn't worship the gods of the, the city. And that was a big deal. In the city, in the ancient world, in this world, people believed that you all had to worship the idols so that the idols would bless your city. And they believed that if you didn't worship the, the false gods and the idols, if you didn't worship those things, there was a fear that the gods would strike the city because of you. And these Christians, they said, well, we've only got one God and, and we're not going to worship these idols. And so they would have been despised these Christians are going to get our city ruined. These Christians are going to bring the gods upon us. They were facing ostracism and persecution because of their faith. And Paul knew they were going to be facing this. And he knew they were just little baby Christians. And he knew they were going to be finding this really hard. And he knew there was going to be a temptation of him just to say, do you know what, I'm done with this. I'm finished. I, I can't deal with this. He knew this. And so he sends Timothy to do what? To strengthen them, it says in the text, and to encourage them. He sends Timothy to give them boldness. He sends Timothy to give them courage to keep living for Jesus in the face of opposition. Now, trials like this, they're not uncommon, are they? And they won't be uncommon for us as Christians. Sure, we're not going to be beaten. We're not going to be kind of violence against us, I don't think. But we will be ostracized if we give our allegiance to Jesus. We will be seen as strange if we give our allegiance to Jesus. We will be rejected if we give our allegiance to Jesus. We will be left out if we give our allegiance to Jesus. If you're an honest employee and, and you're working for a company and you see that there's something wrong, you're going to flag it up because you've got your allegiance to Jesus. You're going to point out the wrongdoing in the company. And that's going to lead to you being ostracized. If you're a student at university 
and you're the only Christian in your, your class and you're not engaging in all the things that everyone else is doing at university, you're going to be seen as the weirdo. You're going to be ostracized. You're going to face a form of ostracism. If you're a teacher and you give your students honest grades and a parent phones you, putting you under pressure to up the child's grade and you say no because you're going to be honest in your marking, you're going to face some form of hostility there. If you're a Christian who doesn't buy into the consumer mentality of our world, who says, I don't think life is just all about stuff and getting more, the people in your streets and the people you work with are going to think you're a little bit strange and they're going to feel convicted and they might not like you so much. If we are Christians, if we give our allegiance to Jesus, we are at times going to face some form of persecution and trial because of that. Now, don't mishear me. It sounds all very negative. <laughs> There's going to be things that we're going to do that people are going to be blown away by, that people are going to look at and think, that's incredible, that's amazing, that's different. Forgiveness, kindness, generosity, all those things are good. But the reality is that there are going to come points where we clash with the culture, where we live differently. And when those moments come, there will be tension and ostracism and hostility but we shouldn't be surprised by that because that's what happened to Jesus, isn't it? There he was, Jesus, the most perfect human being who ever lived, the only sinless one who came with full of grace and full of truth and as he spoke truth and as he ministered grace and as he lived in line with the law of God and the will of God, what happened? He was persecuted and ostracized and hated and spat at and eventually crucified. When we give our allegiance to God, when we give our allegiance to Christ, we look different and it leads to these sorts of trials. Another trial then that, that these Thessalonians were facing again, which is a spiritual trial, was an attack from Satan. I don't know if you noticed it in verse five, but if you have a look at verse five with me, it says, look there, I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you. Hey, Thessalonians, this following Jesus is really tough. Why not go back to your old life? Hey, Thessalonians, worshiping Jesus and following Jesus, it's leading to lots of problems for you. Just go back to the idols. Life's much easier there. Just backslide. Just go back to how life was. Just turn away from Jesus and go back to your old life. That was the temptation of Satan for these guys. And Paul was concerned for them that Satan might have knocked them off course. And again, today, as Christians, we're going to face that type of trial too. Satan will accuse you, so he will. He'll tell you you're not good enough to be a Christian. Satan will accuse you. He'll say you've no right to be a Christian. Satan will accuse you and say, who do you think you are to call yourself a follower of Jesus? You're so flawed. Just give up. He'll accuse us. He'll tempt us as well, won't he? Listen, you're finding this following Jesus really tough. Just, just bin it. Just, just pack it in. Go and have a different life. You, you can enjoy yourself. You can just be full of, of whatever you want to do. You can be your own person. You can be autonomous. Satan tempts us to drop out of the race. And he accuses us to make us feel like we can't run anymore. We face these trials, don't we? We face these type of things. 
And so what do we need then whenever these things come? What do we need when trials come? Well, what we need is people to strengthen us and to encourage us. Have a look with me again at verses two and three. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to do what? To strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. I've sent Timothy to encourage you and strengthen you so that you don't drop out of the race. Whenever we're going through trials, this is what we need, isn't it? We need people to encourage us. We need people to strengthen us. We need them to give us uh, encouragement. And I want to encourage you this morning, not just to be thinking of, I need to receive this, but be thinking of, I need to give this. I wonder whenever you prayed this morning, remember when we prayed for other people? I wonder, did you actually think of people who are going through trials just now? Were there people that you could name as we prayed? You see, it's really good to pray for them, but what I'd love to encourage you to do when you leave here later, <laughs> in the coming week, in the coming couple of weeks, I would like to encourage you not just to pray for them, but to try to strengthen them and encourage them in this season of trial. How might you do that? You might pray for them in person, pray with them, meet them for a coffee and say, can I pray for you and pray for them? That would encourage and strengthen them, wouldn't it? Maybe read some of God's word to them. Some of the passages that we've looked at this morning as we've come to this point in our service, read those passages. God is with you an ever-present help in times of trouble. God is your refuge and strength. Turn to him just now. He's with you. He's got you. He's protecting you. We could share God's word with him. I know some of you here are brilliant when it comes to knowing hymns and hymn lyrics. I'm pretty sure this morning if I said, can you stand up and give me some hymn lyrics that would be good to hear in times of trial, we could probably have half an hour here in this congregation. Share a hymn with someone, share a song with them that might encourage them and uplift them and strengthen them. Why not offer them practical help? You know, if someone's struggling financially to get their finances in order and you would know how to help them to sort their finances out, why not say, listen, would you like me to meet you for an hour and, and help you work this through? Or if you know someone who's really struggling with their kids and struggling just to get any time, why not say, look, you know, do you want me to take the kids for an hour so you can get an hour to yourself? Or if you know someone who's struggling in their faith and they're just not able to read their Bible or pray at the minute, why not get alongside them and say, hey, do you want to do this together? When we know people who are facing trials, let's be like Timothy. Let's go and strengthen them and encourage them Let's be like Paul. Let's have concern for them enough to do something about it. Anyway, Timothy's there and he's there to, to strengthen them because they're facing trials. And he's also there just to, to find out how they're doing in their faith. And again, we see that in verse five. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. So Timothy's gone there to strengthen them, but he's also gone there just to see how they're doing spiritually just to find out how they're doing in their faith. You know, Timothy said, or Paul says at the end of that, he says, I was worried that maybe all our effort had been useless. You know, as I sat there in Athens and I thought how I went to Thessalonica and how I preached the gospel and how I was persecuted, I, I couldn't help but think, I wonder, was this all useless? I wonder, are the people still going on or are they not? And it's funny as a minister, because that's actually 
one of the saddest things about being a minister. It's whenever you see someone so vibrant in their faith, so alive in Christ, and then over time just kind of drift away. It's really sad as a minister. It's so discouraging when you see someone who's got such a healthy, vibrant faith and then in a few years really is nowhere with the Lord. So Paul, he was thinking this. I wonder, are they just nowhere anymore? I wonder if they just slipped away. I guess he was feeling pretty discouraged thinking about that. And so he sends Timothy to, to see how they're getting on. And this really challenged me because I think as Christians, sometimes we can actually see that people are slipping. We can see them drifting. We can see them just kind of going off away from the Lord. And it challenged me that if Paul sent Timothy to inquire how they're doing, maybe we should just inquire how people are doing when we see it. Hey, listen, I've not noticed you at church for a very while. And I'm concerned for you. How are you doing spiritually just now? Or maybe it's someone in your family, a son or a daughter, and, and you see how they love the Lord and how they just seem to be drifting. Why not have that conversation? Hey, how are you doing just now spiritually? Or maybe it's a friend from university or a friend you work with, someone who, who loved the Lord and just seems, to be, just seems to be wandering away. Hey, listen, let's have a chat. How, how are you doing spiritually just now? It's amazing because that one question can just lead to a whole new pathway. It can lead to people coming back to Christ. It can lead to people sharing where they are that they've never done before. And it can lead to them coming back to the Lord. Just for your encouragement, you know, you're maybe thinking, you know, maybe I should do that, but I'm a bit nervous about it. Maybe I should do that, but I'm a bit scared to do it. Let me encourage you with the words from James chapter five. James says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, so remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. This job has eternal consequences. When we see people wandering away, let's try to ask them how they're doing and encourage them back. Anyway, back to the parents. So you've gone out for dinner. You can't eat a thing or you've gone to work and you can't do a thing, and you make the call. And even though you've left them kind of with everything they need, the nappies, the wipes, you know, the emergency contacts, you've left them with the whole thing, you're so worried, and you make the call, and you're expecting them to say something like, oh, it's, yeah, it's terrible, come back, and you make the call and answer, and, they, and the person says, yeah, everything's good. You didn't need to call. It's all good. Got it under control. Don't panic. It's all good. How do you feel? You feel relieved, don't you? You feel relieved, okay, it's all good. And so Paul tells Timothy, and Timothy comes back, and what Timothy says must have just been a complete joy to Paul. Look with me at verse six. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Paul got good news back. These baby Thessalonians were not just kind of keeping going. They were thriving in their faith. 
They were standing firm in the Lord in the face of opposition. They were doing well. They were growing and surviving and beginning to thrive. And that's what I long for us. That's what I long for us as a congregation. That we wouldn't just be kind of in survival mode in our faith, but we would be thriving. That we'd be growing, that we'd be standing firm in the Lord. And how do we do that? We look to the Lord for help. We look to Jesus for strength. We trust him when we face the trials in our life. This morning, if you're facing trials, I just want to finish with some words of a hymn, an old hymn with wonderful lyrics, and I just would like you to take these as a word from the Lord for you. Fear not, I am with thee. O be not dismayed. For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I will strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials the pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design the dross to consume and thy gold to refine. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Let's pray before we respond. Lord, it's just so lovely to read this letter between Paul and the Christians in Thessalonica who he loved. And it's just so lovely to see his concern for them and his desire to help them and to strengthen them and to encourage them by sending Timothy. And Lord, I do pray that when we see people facing trials that you would give us compassion for them and that you would give us a deep desire and boldness to strengthen them and encourage them when they need it the most. Father, I pray too for us that when we see people wandering from you, walking away from you, going after other things, that you would give us the boldness just to approach them with gentleness and concern and ask, how are you doing spiritually just now? Lord, would you use us to draw people back onto the right path of following Christ? And Lord, whenever we're struggling with the trials we face because of our faith, may we look to Jesus and may we see him crucified for us. And may we recognize that there's nothing we will go through that he has not been through. May we look to him and find strength and hope and help from him. Lord, you are our refuge and our strength. You are our very present help in times of trouble. So help us to trust you and call upon you when we walk through the deep valleys of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.